Top of the hour, top of the hour right here on the Morning Machine, the machine that makes your mornings move. It is a Memorial Day holiday. Usually we do a um, a best of on holidays, but this is different. This is actually one of the, la- this is the last Monday of Mental Health Awareness Month, but I want to make something known and make something very, very clear. Just because... I said that this is the last day of Mental Health Awareness Month does not mean that your awareness goes away, okay? So let that be known moving forward, okay? And take the time out to check on your folks, okay? Check on people, especially if you're off laying around today, please check on your people, okay? You know, I can't stress that enough, and I'm sure... Uh, Dr. Bowen would agree with me and um, let's just go right in to it. Okay, so first of all, um, Dr. Earl Bowen Jr. First of all, the, the I like to call him the man and the man with the mental health master plan. Now, he is. I'm just going to go right into this. First of all, a phenomenal human being, because I know this is one of his last ones before he uh, goes off into the sunset for the summer. You know, so I want to make sure I'd say thank you for all of the information that you have uh, given to us uh, over the last few months. And uh, we definitely appreciate you uh, greatly. Okay, and I would I just want to take the time out to say that in the beginning. So that way I'm not trying to do this at the end. Okay. So I want to give you your flowers and thank you for all the mental health wisdom you have given to us. By the way, no problem. Let's talk about Dr. Earl Bowen Jr. for a second. Assistant professor in social and behavioral science in the university counselor at the one and only Cheney University of Pennsylvania, HBCU. Licensed by the Pennsylvania State Board of Social Workers, Marriage and Family Therapists and Professional Counselors. Also certified in dialectical behavioral therapy. Now, Dr. Bowen has completed a number of research studies and what have you. Uh, and I could go on on I could go on and on all day referencing them. But additionally, Dr. Bowen serves as associate rabbi at Congregation Temple Beth El, located in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. My favorite and favorite hometown. Good morning, Dr. Bowen. How you doing? Good morning, Rob. I'm doing great. How you doing? Oh, feeling absolutely phenomenal. And uh, <laughs> I know this is the last day of Mental Health Awareness Month, but as I said, the awareness has to keep going. There's a vast importance to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more to that statement. And that's why we need to continue this process ongoing, as you said, every day, particularly to reach out to your loved ones, members of your family and friends who you never know may be going through some things that maybe you can be instrumental in making a difference in their lives. So it's to keep that going. Absolutely. That's the purpose. Yeah. Yeah. So Rob, I thought that today uh, in view of, you know, the recent mass shootings uh, that occurred in uh, in Texas Mm -hmm. and, before that, the, the shootings that occurred in Buffalo, New York, 
and just this onslaught of violence and uh, the amount of um, proliferation of guns and all of that, all of that stuff, all of these external factors have, and I don't have to tell you, it has a huge impact on our mental health and wellness. Absolutely. So I wanted to talk, um, start out this morning by talking about grief as it relates to children. But children grieve as well as adults, but because they're children, we may not always pay as much attention to their level of grief. And because they're young, they may not be able to fully articulate what it is they're really feeling. Uh, so I thought it might be important to talk a little bit about children and grief, but also to talk a little bit about it's really um, the type of grief that happens in a really traumatic way. It's like an unexpected grief, and that's what happened with the shootings on the last couple of weeks. That's a whole nother grieving process as well. And uh, a little bit about adverse childhood experiences and how that impacts us as adults. And then finally, if I have a few minutes left, I do want to talk about how adverse childhood experiences can re can relate to unhealthy addiction. But uh, anyway, having said that, I just wanted to again state that the whole purpose of of my talk on Monday mornings is to promote mental health awareness, number one. But then secondly, to provide mental health support when and if necessary. To emphasize mental ailments to the same degree as physical ones. To improve sensitivity and empathy toward mental health behaviors that often go unnoticed and untreated. And then finally, to fight the stigma of mental health by encouraging open discussion. So, just to start out, as I mentioned before, um, I do want to talk a little bit about children and grief. And, of course, we know what happened last week at, with the elementary school. Uh, what we know is from research is that all children grieve regardless of age and regardless of their stage of development. They, they, they undergo a period of grief just as adults do. Now, of course, it's different, but there, it still is something that we should not um, take that maybe it's not as, as relevant or as important as the grief that we're dealing with as adults. Um, we also know that each stage of a child's life, we might see their grief being manifested differently based on on their age and based on their on their perspective but it can be experienced in a variety of ways uh, just as adults children also have the physical manifestations of grief shock sometimes somatic illness ailments like headaches or you know stomach aches or things of that nature physical reactions to grief as well they also have the emotional reactions that they may have anxiety. Sometimes that anxiety could also become uh, exemplified in terms of anger. They could go through periods of depression. 
and they can also start to withdraw. Now, these are all emotional signs in many instances of grief, of the child going through a period of grief. Sometimes in a behavioral way, it could manifest itself in terms of hitting, fighting others, maybe even biting based on their age. But they all experience this grief. So what we know from research is that actually at around two and a half years of age, children are able to have formed an attachment where they begin to recognize that there's been some loss that that has occurred. And what happens often is that they have mixed feelings about, first of all, how to connect with other people and how not to connect because of the loss. So you might see a child maybe two and a half, three years old, become very clingy to adults as a result of a loss. They don't want you to leave them. They're constantly clinging. On the other hand, other children may react in a very standoffish way. So it's not always consistent, but what you do see is you start to notice a behavioral change. Uh, their ability to regulate their emotions now could be totally off kilter. For example, toilet training. You might see a regression in that. At one time, this child was just no problem. They'd go to the bathroom by themselves. Then all of a sudden, you start to see the toilet training that they've learned before start to retrogress. Could also be an example or an indication of the grieving period. Uh, then you, you have children who are doing school age. They may be in elementary school. Sometimes there's this magical thinking that this person is gone, but they'll be back. Um, but again, as time goes on, the reality starts to set in so that children sometimes be, begin to feel that they've been abandoned um, by others. You'll also begin to notice in many instances a drop-off in their academic performance. So a child that was getting like A's and B's, you start to see the grades go down and there's this diminish of, of school, being alert to going to school. And sometimes public school teachers or private school teachers, all they see is that this child who was once a very good student academically is now not doing well in school. But they may not really know what happened or what has happened in that child's home environment that might be, be precipitating that academic uh, decline. So it's not unusual that when children are not doing well academically, after talking to them and getting a relationship with them, you may start to find out that there are some things that's going on in their home life that could be having an impact on that as well. We see a lot of this also with adolescents, uh, teenagers, and a lot of times talking to teenagers who, as a result of uh, a, a recent death in their family, start to actually begin to look at their own mortality. And I've talked to young people, teenagers, who said to me, well, I don't think I'll live to be 25. Well, I don't think I'll. And so this whole idea of longevity starts to not seem very realistic to them, that they start to develop this sort of attitude that, you know, people are dying around me, so my life is not going to be long either. 
uh, that's a whole different mentality from what it was many years ago, particularly when I was coming up. So that we know that grief manifests itself differently. We also might see differences in the persons, and particularly a young person, could be adults as well, in terms of appetite. That is, they either start eating excessively or we start to notice that they have a very, very poor appetite, that they're hardly eating at all. This is an indication that there could be something going on. And the other thing would be social isolation. So you start to see children begin to socially isolate themselves from others. Um, that is a very dangerous sign. It's also sometimes what we do know, and particularly now reflecting on the shooter from last week and others, is that in many instances, these were young people who were socially isolated from others. Uh, they didn't really interact much with the group or they felt sort of out of place. But sometimes so social isolation could be a result of going through a period of grief. Now, with children and young people, it may not necessarily mean a loss that is a result of a death. It could be a pet, an animal that they, you know, they had a dog or a cat and, and this cat died and the dog died. They could be going through periods of grief because of the loss of a pet. It also could be a divorce, a separation, a parent that was recently incarcerated. Uh, these are instances where we see children growing up where there's been a loss in their family environment. And because of that loss, they may not fully articulate what it is they're feeling as a result of it. So they could act either acting out or they could internalize a lot of those emotions, uh, which, of course, is something that we would like for them not to do. But what we really want to do with children that are going through periods of grief is to encourage them to express what it is they're feeling. And those expressions may not really be, may not always be verbal. It could, it could be art. It could be uh, drawing. You know, there's this very important type of therapy that I'm not involved in, but it's called play therapy. And I know play therapy is a form of therapy that works very well with children because it allows them to express what they're feeling in a very, in a much more artistic way. And sometimes in terms of play itself. Uh, so as adults, we need to begin to give children some time and space to grieve, to understand that their period of grief may not parallel what we're going through as adults, but that they still have these feelings that somehow needs to be addressed and expressed. Now, with adults, it's sort of untangling this sort of trauma and grief that happens suddenly and unexpectedly. So we saw <laughs> last week where parents brought their their child to school, not thinking that anything would happen in an unusual sense. But of course, we know that the shooting did occur. Now, this sort of sudden and unexpected grief and loss, as we know, can become overwhelming and it's actually referred to as traumatic grief. It's sort of like a free fall into a chasm of despair when you really think about traumatic grief. 
uh, it means that your everyday life has basically been ripped apart. And it can cause all of us who unfortunately might experience that to go into a very steep decline in shock, disbelief, and bewilderment. And sometimes you can get stuck in that grief and you're unable to move forward. And it's it's obvious that a lot of uh, people now, particularly now in Texas, and I'm sure in New York as well and other places, are stuck in that period of grief. And there's no specified period of time in which you can say, okay, that's it, now it's time to move on. It varies based on the individual and based on their experience and, of course, on the intensity of the relationship that they had with the deceased. Now, what do we do, that is, those of us who are there to be supportive to others, is that we, first of all, have to hear their loss and validate their feelings. So we, you know, it's not really a good idea to just sort of paraphrase what we think they're saying or what we think they might be feeling, but to actively listen to their loss and to validate their feelings. Sometimes it's just sitting silently and being present, not really saying anything, but by your presence, showing them that you care and letting them know that they are not alone. Now, therapeutically, beyond processing the grief, the goal is to get to a place where the grief is replaced on to positive memories of the person, the essence of that person's being, and the gratitude that you feel for the time that you were able to spend with them. Now, obviously, this is a period that could take uh, weeks, months, years. But the essence of what you're trying to do therapeutically is to help the person to translate what has happened into some positive memories of the person, the essence of who that person was, and the gratitude for the time that you were able to share with them. Now, transforming the pain of loss into something positive and potentially powerful might mean that as a result of that experience, as a result of that, that you develop a deeper appreciation of family and your personal involvement and commitment. It also means that you might develop a greater appreciation for life in general and use that as an opportunity to embrace new Opportunity. So, for example, um, in some cases, if the person may have passed as a result of, say, cancer, uh, you might decide that you want to devote a substantial part of your life to fighting a particular type of cancer through public awareness or through some fundraising activities or something that you want to do in memory of that person who is no longer with us. Uh, that becomes something that we can do that doesn't replace the loss, but it transforms it into something else that may have a much more powerful effect on our society at large and continues to keep the memory of that individual alive. 
But reality is that all of these things take time, and the, the, the reasonment process is not something that we can structure into a, a specific uh, period. But it is something to be aware of and something that we strive to address as we deal with our loved ones and also as we experience the loss of others that may not affect us directly, but it could have a, a very indirect effect on all of us. Uh, having said that, I do want to move forward uh childhood experiences and I actually kind of identifying unmet needs and suppressed emotions from our childhood that we still were abused as a child emotionally or physically or psychologically or or there were serious acts of uh, addiction and some sort of regression that remind us of a who you are or who we are as a child is important in understanding. Seek to heal emotional wounds from our childhood. And so sometimes pleasant childhood experiences by talking about these things during therapy and by unpacking those things and by putting them into a perspective that allows you to move forward. Since one of the, the goals of therapy could be to unpack unpleasant childhood experiences, uh, certain events that can trigger unwanted memories. Now, these sometimes unresolved childhood experiences obviously can have an impact on our relationships with other adults, particularly intimate partnerships. So if you grew up feeling that you were unprotected, grew up feeling that you were alone, that you were constantly being attacked by others, that you grew up in a family or an environment where you didn't feel people cared for you or that you were unloved. Um, these things are part of unrecognized childhood experiences that can play out in your relationships with other adults. And it can result in building invisible walls with significant others and obviously contribute to negative impact on future adult relationships, as well as relationships with, with children as well. And so this sort of resolution of unresolved childhood experiences becomes something else that we all have to be aware of at some level. And I think particularly doing this sort of a courtship process that could be leading to an intimate partner relationship, it's important to understand each other and understand ourselves in terms of how we grew up, what was our family environment like, and how those experiences impact what we do. Um, a little bit about how all of this, I believe, relates to addictions. And by addictions, I'm really talking about unhealthy addictions. Uh, my main focus is really not about the why these things happen, although part of it can be explained scientifically, but a lot of it is understanding what is going on within our brain, how our brain impacts a lot of these things. So it's understanding the science that drives addictions. Now, with addictions, we're basically talking about two areas. We're talking about substance abuse, which could be more 
readily identified as drug alcohol addiction. But we're also talking about, and for the time that we have left, I want to just spend a few minutes talking about behavioral addictions. Now, what happens with behavioral addictions is what we're looking at is a maladaptive relationship with an activity, with a sensation, or a behavior that you continue to undergo despite the negative impact on your ability to maintain healthy degree of mental health and function at work or at home or in your community. So what happens is surprisingly an otherwise pleasurable experience can become compulsive, particularly when it's used to escape stress or to deal with unresolved trauma. So typical unhealthy addictions, gambling, spending money excessively, pornography. These are addictions that can be very, very unhealthy, but we do them anyway. So what happens with that is that the process of these addictions tend to increase something I've talked about several times before, and that is dopamine. These addictions increase dopamine. Again, what is dopamine? Dopamine is a naturally occurring and powerful pleasure-seeking chemical in the brain. And so where, when you think about it, when activities are used habitually to escape pain, more dopamine is released into the brain. So what happens is the brain rapidly adjusts to this higher level of dopamine. And the brain has what what has happened is that the brain has now adapted to what we would call a new normal. That is, the brain begins to depend on higher levels of dopamine in order to regulate the central nervous system. And so the term that's often used is that the brain has become hijacked. So once the brain is hijacked, the downward spiral of craving to either continue to gamble, to to continue to engage in in pornography, uh, to continue to go on these other spending bench or these other things, it continues to happen more and more because more dopamine affects higher levels of thinking and reasoning. And so what happens is this becomes an area of where we have to spend much more time dealing with how dopamine adds fuel to this addiction. The therapy actually becomes ways of stimulating that same chemical effect in the brain through other ways that would be more socially acceptable in our society as opposed to the unhealthy addiction. So it's really sort of flipping that switch, but it's, of course, easier said than done. It's a whole area of working with a a therapist or a counselor or a coach, um, maybe Coach Jarvis or a religious leader or someone else would be helpful in helping to address that level of addiction 
but uh, many of these things that are related to unhealthy addictions also relate to adverse childhood experiences. Not in all cases, but in many cases they do. So a lot of these things are interrelated. Uh, what I've tried to do over the last several weeks is talk about the interrelationship between the mind, the body, and the soul, and beginning to change how we perceive realities in a way where we start to reframe some of our behaviors into other areas that can be much more positive in our lives. Um, but that takes some time, and uh, it is something that we all strive for. And so I hope I said something this morning that's given you some additional food for thought, and hopefully that week that is upcoming will be a good week, a safe week, healthy, prosperous. Uh, may you enjoy the holiday, Memorial Day, and may it be the will of the Most High God that he will give us many, many more days to come. So with that, Brother Rob, I'm wishing all the best to you, uh, Brother Jarvis, my good sister Shanice, and all of you part, who are part of this program, praying for good health. Be well, and we'll talk soon. Absolutely, sure. and have uh, and have a great summer as well. We'll be seeing you soon as uh, we have some special guests that are going to come in and uh, while you enjoy your summer. So please have a happy and safe summer season. All right, Doctor Bowen. Great. Thanks a lot, Rob. Appreciate you. No problem at all. Thank you so much. And it is 31 minutes, 31 minutes past the hour you heard from the therapist. Now it is time to hear from the coach. Mindset Monday with Coach Jarvis presented by Passion Purpose Coaching on a Memorial Day holiday is coming up next. 32 minutes worldwide past the hour.